Welcome to Detoxicity. This is a podcast in which I try to change the narrative around masculinity a little bit and allow some progressive voices and some interesting voices, diverse voices, to come into the picture. My name is Mike Joseph. I host and produce this show, and I thank you very, very much for listening and for supporting from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot. Now, if you enjoy this podcast, I hope that you are subscribing to it. If you aren't, please press the subscribe button on wherever it is you're listening to it, and uh, that way you'll get episodes on demand when they come, uh, which is usually on Wednesday mornings. I also certainly ask that you uh, spread the word. Uh, Please rate the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen. Um, Make sure you leave a comment if you have something nice to say or if you have something constructive to say. It doesn't all have to be nice. And by all means, tell your friends, tell anyone who you think might get some creative juice or inspirational juice or just would uh, you'd like to listen to this please spread the word uh, however you can i am on social media if you would like to follow me i am on instagram at detox pod guy uh, my twitter is on hiatus for a little bit it will come back but it is tis mike joseph feel free to follow me on either of those platforms there is also facebook.com slash detoxicity and if you have a comment you can email me detoxpod at gmail.com I am always on the lookout for new guests, so if you know somebody who you think has an interesting story to tell or something to add to the overall conversation around detoxifying masculinity, please reach out to me via any of those platforms, and certainly if you yourself would like to be a part of this podcast, please reach out, let me know. Once again, I thank you for listening. Hey y'all, remember episode 85 where I recorded live in Mexico at the Desire Resort? Well, a lot of people who are on that trip with me have interesting journeys to talk about, and they're actually pretty happy to share those journeys via the Detoxicity Podcast. So over the next couple of weeks and months, in between our regular podcasts, I'll be interspersing stories that have been told by people that I met on the Desire trip, and I hope you enjoy them as much as you enjoy all of the other stories that you hear here on Detoxicity. First up is my man, Brandon James. Uh, Brandon grew up in rural Indiana with all of the conservatism that a rural Indiana upbringing might imply. He might actually be the first person I have ever met that is from Indiana. So a lot of what he said is, uh, I guess, new to me in practice, as in knowing somebody who went through uh, what he went through, but not new to me just by sort of knowing about the world and how conservative Midwestern upbringings can be. Anyway, uh, there's always been a pull in in, in Brandon's mind saying that he wanted a different life from the life that was set out for him initially. So he moved out to California. Uh, He's putting together that different life. Uh, Our conversation charts his personal evolution from being a basically a choir boy in this rural Midwestern upbringing to going to college and learning a bit more about the world to then kind of just expanding his outlook further out from there. We cover extroversion, we cover ADHD, we cover fraternity living, we cover communal structures, we cover a ton of stuff. This is a great interview. Brandon is a great dude. I hope you enjoy. I'm Brandon. I am a born and raised Midwest, white, conservatively raised boy. I had the kind of stereotypical family, three kids. I have a brother and a sister, very religious upbringing, very conservative, indoctrinated in that scenario. Then went to college at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana. Learned that uh, I'm not very good at college at that point in time in my life. (laughs) I was not prepared. I don't think I had the skills or things taught to me growing up that would allow me to be successful. Took a year off, went on a festival binge i love music festivals music is kind of my outlet to be myself and around the people who are more accepting understanding of who i am then i got lucky enough to meet uh, my current partner who is a wonderful lady who has a phd in sea turtle biology and that was amazing to see her finish her phd and i was there to support her and then i got lucky enough to get my golden ticket out of the midwest (laughs) (laughs) And said uh, goodbye to a lot of the things that I really needed to leave behind. And I lived in L.A. for two years. Got uh, my degree at Whittier University in uh, business administration and management. And then I was really lucky enough to have her family and be able to move up to the Bay Area and really click into a much healthier community. That was really something I've always craved or desired. and. 
I'm into digital marketing right now. That's kind of my big thing. I love making websites. I'm really proud of some of the websites I've made. I love data and analytics, which Brandon 10 years ago would be like, we hate numbers in school. So that was really awesome for me to like finally click into what I enjoy and love. So now I am living in Petaluma, California, surrounded by wonderful people. And I'm really just enjoying life. And I had the opportunity to meet you, Mike, at Desire about a month ago on the dot. Yeah. 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 About a month and a half almost at this point. Oh, yeah. Man. We're, we're closing in on like six weeks, which is freaking crazy. Yeah, t- it feels like it was yesterday. Yeah. T- time has flown. The holidays, just everything kicks into high gear. Yeah, man. Oh, I, I have so many things that I'd like to ask you. So to give you a little background, I had three years of a Midwest experience because my mom lives in Michigan. So I know a little bit about the Midwest, but I don't really know what it's like to grow up there and have the first 17, 18, 19, whatever years of your life in that kind of environment. What was that like? Growing up, it felt normal. I was just like, oh, this is what life is like. And so it was very religious heavy every Sunday. You go to church, you get lunch with your family after church. I was lucky enough to live in a college town with a world-renowned university, Purdue University. I lived in that town. And so having the melting pot of students from all around the world really helped diversify my experience. But I didn't get that experience until I started going to Purdue. And so it was very, very white-heavy, conservative-heavy. Toxic masculinity was running rampant which is one of the reasons why I was like, screw it. I really want to be on this podcast, even though I'm like insanely (laughs) nervous. But it was almost very cultish growing up. So you have a lot of, you do this this way. If you don't, you get yelled at, you get ostracized. You can't be a part of the community. I remember in high school being like 16 or 17, being like, I don't want to go to church anymore. Why am I going? I don't want to go. And it would be massive fights with my family. And everyone would be confused. I don't want to go to church. And I'd be like, I just don't believe in these things. I don't like how I'm forced to go. If this is a lifestyle, usually lifestyles you choose to be involved in. So being vegan, you choose that lifestyle. Personally, I'm polyamorous. It's a lifestyle I enjoy. It's what I like to do. And it's what gives me fulfillment. And so being forced to go to church... I was like, why? This isn't a lifestyle I want to do. I'm not happy here. And there's a lot of... Yeah, brainwashing where they're like, oh, this is the right thing. It's like you get praise for things you don't want to do. I was convinced to give a sermon. Okay. As a, I was what a sophomore in high school, and I gave a sermon about love and how it's represented in the Bible. And it's still on the internet. Please, listeners, do not go find <laughs> that sermon. It is not worth listening to. But I did that, and everyone in the community was so proud of me, and for me, it felt very empty, very fake, very like coerced. And I was like, oh, this is what people want me to do. I'll get praise. This will be awesome. But it, it ended up being a very empty experience for me and something that like I'm insanely embarrassed about at this point. And so, yeah, like just the conservatism. There's a lot of country folk. The town of West Lafayette on the outskirts around is very farming heavy. People don't want to learn new things. A lot of my family questions science are they don't they're against a blm they were shocked when gay marriage was passed it's night and day versus being in the west coast now and i was really lucky enough to find the right friends at purdue who are like my lifelong friends who understand me they get me and i bartended at a brewery and i would have some of my parents friends who'd come in and they follow me on Facebook, and so they'd see me at music festivals, and I would be wearing ridiculous outfits. I would dress as a woman, and they would like be giving me crap. And I'll be like, I was happy here. What are you getting out of this? You're just being mean. or Yeah, it was like those snide comments. And so it's just like that environment where they're not asking you questions or open or understanding. They're more like, it's our way or the highway. which is What kind of stuff would they say? like oh you go to these weird music things and you're dressed as a girl why'd you do that or like i've had them be like oh like are you like gay first of all how i dress does not define my sexuality at all all. at all that was really eye-opening to me or even friends who'd be like 
Why are you dressed like that? Why would you go do that? Oh, you're at a music festival. How many drugs did you take? But their knowledge is from Hollywood or from what their parents tell them or what their parents make side comments about other people who acted like me or dressed like me. And so it was uh, projecting onto me, which was really, really interesting to experience. And at the time, it was really hard. And back then, I may have felt a little bit like shame on myself or felt weird. But now I'm much more confident as an adult. But growing up and being kind of... I used to be called a Fruit Loop. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And so looking back, I'm like, wow, I'm so glad I left that community. Isn't that the people I want to be around? I get it. I get it. Were they calling you a Fruit Loop because because they'd see pictures of you online dressed a certain way? Or was it a way that you acted? Or, or the way I acted, it was both. It was the photos online. I'm a very extroverted person. I'm very talkative. I'm very goofy. I love to joke around and mess around. That's where I have the most fun and feel myself. And so they're like, why aren't you being the stoic, hard-headed guy who's going to make money for their family? I was the opposite of what they're normally seeing. And so in that kind of culture, I stood out like a sore thumb. And so they were like, he's different. I'm going to comment on that. And you're like, don't comment. (laughs) What I respect is that people get shit on a lot for being different in those kind of environments. And some people freak out so much when they get criticized that they reform, right? They're like, it's just safer for me to be, to, to play this role and act a certain way because that's the way everybody acts. And you were confident enough to say, I'm going to do my own thing and go my own way. Where did you get that confidence? Well, that's a really, really good question. I'm actually not... 100% sure, but yeah, my response wasn't conforming. My response was doubling down. And so it almost became like, it's probably not a healthy response to be like, how much can I piss these people off? <laughs> how much can I bother them by who I want to be? So maybe sometimes I would act more extravagant than I usually would just to bother people or maybe to change their minds. I would probably say it came from, ironically, my youth group leader in church. He was an an amazing person and he was very much like me where he was goofy. He had fun. He could act like himself. It wasn't feminine, but it wasn't masculine. He would show emotions and he would really connect with me. I looked up to him as a role model and he's a wonderful human. His name's Ryan and, um, He really taught me a lot of life lessons about things. He kind of was that role model I wanted to be. I was like, wait, he doesn't care. He's part of the church, which is probably one of the reasons I stayed in the church too long. I was even further on the spectrum than he was, but he gave me the comments to be like, oh, this is who I am. This is what I want to be. I can be goofy and fun and have that confidence and not care what others think because I'm myself and I'm happiest that way. And I definitely would have a lot of people who could have been my friends who were instantly turned off by me and how I acted. But they weren't going to be my friends anyway unless I changed who I was. And that doesn't sound like a fulfilling friendship or relationship. No, not at all. I wonder if the people that criticize you, and this is me being basic psychology (laughs) one-on-one guy here, if the people that are jealous of you, or the people that, see, I just threw my hand out right there. If the people that criticize you are criticizing you because they're actually critical of the things you're doing or because they're jealous that you're living an authentic life. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot over the years where I'm like, okay, are they jealous and projecting their jealousy onto me because they don't know how to find what I have? Or is it because of the conforming to their culture and they don't want to be ostracized I don't have anyone in the church that I'm friends with from Indiana or no, besides obviously like my parents and family and uh, Becky, my youth group leaders, they were the only ones who I was like, these are awesome people and I respect their decision in religion, but I know I can come to them for anything and they're going to be there to support me and help me. And so it's interesting to think about it in that light where I, I actually truly think it's jealousy or yeah, misunderstanding where they want that, but they're not like me, but they don't have to find that themselves or be authentically themselves. 
And so I would be the person at the party where I would still stick out like a sore thumb. I'm just acting goofy and having fun and messing around. And it was it's very interesting to see people be like, who's this guy? Why is he being so weird? And I'm like, oh, I'm just having fun. What Am, am I bothering you? I'm not interrupting your life or disrupting your party experience or whatever gathering experience it is. What's so weird about being an extrovert? Everybody's got to have a life at the party or multiple lives at the party, right? Like every event has to have somebody that's a little bit more outgoing to, to balance out the people who are not a little more yeah, outgoing. Yeah, and I think extroverts and introverts both play a really important role in social dynamics and relationship forming. Because as an extrovert, I can find a way to involve an introvert and be like, hey, would you like to go do this with me? Or would you like to dance? Or whatever it is, like play this game. And I, I don't think I'm pushy or in their face or over the top where it pushes the introvert more into their shell. I'm usually the person as an extrovert where I sit down calmly next to someone. I'm like, hey, you seem kind of quiet. How's your night going? And then I start to ramp up the energy as they open up. And then it's kind of like uh, energy feedback. This person's being really nice about this. We're having good conversations. We're starting to laugh. We're having fun. And then it builds upon that. And then introverts are really nice also for me as an extrovert where I get social burnout. Where like, today is not my day to be an extrovert. And the introverts will be right there, chilling on the couch, sit down next <laughs> to them and have a genuine conversation without having to go crazy or make a memorable, crazy, wild experience of the night. How did you become intuitive? It seems that you in social situations are attuned to whatever the other per- to whatever the vibe of the the room is. Where did you get that intuition? Cuz a lot of people can't read a room. Yeah, I think mine would be from a sort of trauma. I have ADHD and so I was the chatty kid, the all over the place kid. And so having people telling me to stop constantly or being ostracized and losing friends or having teachers like write me up and having that experience where now I am absolutely hyper aware of the environment I'm in and how everyone feels in a scenario. And I had an experience at Desire where I looked over and I saw all these first names only Keely. She wasn't having a good time. I could tell she was stressed. She was overwhelmed. And it was nights at the end of the week. And I walked over and I was mm-hmm. like, hey, you want to like go get some air? And she was instantly like, yes, let's go get some air. And so I think it's mostly because of how much I was shut down growing up as a child. And kind of put into a box or being like, you need to sit down, shut up. You're distracting the class. You're being a disruptive person. That now I'm hyper aware of being disruptive. Or I'm hyper aware of what other people are feeling where I'm like, oh, am I being too much? Am I being over the top? Am I, am I being too quiet? Are they okay? And I just want to take care of people. And I'm really interested in making sure that everyone's having a good time at a party. So if I throw a party and someone's quiet or anything, I'm just very hyper aware of what's going on. Like, how can I help their situation be better? Because I understand that it's not fun being in a scenario that you're not totally enjoying or you don't want to be there, but there's something that could help you enjoy your time there. Sure. I got to ask to switch gears a little bit coming from Indiana. And again, I don't know much about Indiana. I don't know much about the Midwest other than my three year Michigan experiment. All I know about Indiana is like Larry Bird and Michael Jackson. Pretty much. Yep, Pretty much. What was it like to then uh, like hit college? And I'm assuming, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, that all of a sudden it was like, Oh, Brown people, like queer people, gay people, people from different countries and different backgrounds and that kind of thing. What kind of culture shock Massive. was that for you? Quite astronomical. My high school was the high school right next to the university. So we had kids who were foreign because they had parents who were professors at the university. And so we were the local okay. high school. And that gave me like a little taste. But in high school, those kids were very much the outsiders And unfortunately, the kids of color were only appreciated if it was athletics. And so the other ones, like the the Asian stereotype, which was really unfortunate. Oh, these are the nerdy kids. These kids don't have social lives. They only want to study and learn. 
And the Latinos were known as the drug dealer kids. And even though they most of them weren't, it was just this weird stereotype in the queer. Obviously, a lot of these kids didn't come out in high school, but they came out sure. later, but they were known as like the weird theater kids. And so getting to college, I was like, oh, this is normal. Why was anyone making fun of these people? I felt horrible. I felt insane guilt because I would join in on these other kids trying to be popular or be accepted because with ADHD, I always felt like an outsider. And so I was doing a lot of conforming to social norms to fit in so that I could have friends in that scenario. And so Purdue was really eye-opening to be like, oh, wow, these people are all accepted. They all have their skills. They're all really important. I was part of an all-color intramural football team. I was like, this is the shit. This is awesome. How the heck did I come from a high school or community that acted completely opposite to how I would act around these people? And so that was huge. And then also at Purdue, pivoting off of that, I learned how much I didn't like fraternities and that male-oriented toxicity, which obviously rolls into toxic masculinity at fraternities. Yeah. Where I was like, wow, these are not the communities I want to be in. And it was... it was. Did you have experiences in, in a frat setting specific experiences specific experiences that were like holy shit this is not my jam at all yeah i'm embarrassed to say i rushed a fraternity my best friend was in it and he's he's a wonderful human bobby he's just awesome and he wasn't uh, conforming he just wanted networking and it was a good way to make friends and he pulled out the good people from that fraternity that are really awesome people but there was a lot of it's like at parties where guys would point at this girl like, oh, she's the slut or, oh, she slept around this entire fraternity. And I'm like, you have slept around with a lot of women also. So I'm confused right. about your point or why do you care? That environment was very, uh, a very massive turnoff. And I did try and rush because my friend Bobby was in it. And I was like, oh, this is a good idea. And I dropped it like two months in. I was like, I can't do this. This is cultish. This feels like going back to the Christian church. Like uh, I'm, mm. I'm out. I'm really glad I got my experience in religion because it clicked in my brain. I was like, wait, I am going back to what I hated. That's an interesting parallel that you draw there. I I know jack shit. I know less about fraternities than I do about Indiana. <laughs> so this is all kind of, of interesting topics for me. But it does seem like people, when they want to belong somewhere it's very easy for them to fall into what some would consider cult-like behavior. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that because that's like me in high school where I tried to be part of cliques. I would have behavior that was only that behavior because I wanted to fit in because I could have friends and that felt right. warm and comfortable in a community. But you're not acting in your own best interest or what you actually believe in. You're that desperate to network or have friends or whatever you want to do that you lose sight of a lot of values in your own personality. And so I think that's like a fraternity or church. People are just desperate for community and feeling belonging. So they're willing to compromise when you should not compromise on those level of ethical or moral decisions. Right. Uh, so as you progress, you're in college. And then at some point you head out to LA, which I would assume is culture shock times a hundred because now you're not just in a college environment within the state that you were born and raised in, but you're on the other side of the country in an environment where, as, you know, you're pretty white, Brandon. Oh, like, I am. I am know, pasty. I burn thinking about the sun. <laughs> yeah, I've seen this. So then to go out to L.A. where you are culturally a minority. 100%. And there are all these different types of people around you. Uh, that had to have been an adjustment as well. Yeah, that was a massive shock. I ended up in Whittier, California, which is a suburb of LA. So I was about 19 miles from downtown LA. It was very Latino heavy. And so speaking Spanish was a massive advantage. And getting there, I was like, oh, wow. And uh, like my one regret in LA is not learning Spanish. I should have learned Spanish. <laughs> I know it's not too late, but in that environment with ADHD, I would like to put things off or procrastinate. It's a valuable skill to have. And yeah. interestingly enough, the region of LA we were in was very much pro-Trump as Latinos. And that was a culture shock to me where I was like, sweet, I'm leaving Indiana. Oh, 
oh no, this is weird. Being around another ethnicity who acts like the white people in Indiana was confusing. And I would probably put it up to propaganda and how politics play into roles and how they're talked to. And one of the big things that I recognized was that these people were all likely citizens. And so they thought other people who were immigrants had to earn their way. And you couldn't just be an illegal immigrant and cross the border. I feel like they felt like they had this level of right to their citizenship that superiority superiority yeah superiority thing it was very shocking to see but i understand like it's it's the low very low income area of la they didn't have the resources or education that a lot of other people would probably have and it was disheartening but i was very much understanding of the environment and culture and variables in play that caused it but i was lucky enough to go to uh, Whittier college in Whittier, which was a very inclusive mental health forward <laughs> very mental health forward college that was hey. was fairly really a stark contrast to purdue which is cutthroat wannabe ivy league state school where they're looking oh. for any reason to fail you and that was one of the reasons i took a year off and went to music festivals because that was my escape and purdue wasn't giving me the escape i needed because of how strict and cutthroat and not understanding of mental health and what i needed and professors would be like oh you just need to figure it out try harder and that was really frustrating at purdue and then going to Whittier, where they're like oh no we get it and i would turn in all my assignments by then semester it's just sometimes i need, to, I need a little bit more time or i'm stressed out or i'm not doing well right now and they were the kind of college where they're like oh no i'll give you an extra three days that's huge at purdue they'd be like you get a zero mm. yeah and so it's like that kind of like kind of situation where i'm like wow these people like really genuinely care about their students right i it's funny because i was going to ask you what you meant by mental health forward and then you explained it as someone who is also diagnosed with adhd i'm curious what that looks like for you and and how you manage it or attempt to manage it exercise and going to the gym is part of my medication i have to burn off the energy or i'll pace around the house until I can talk my brain into doing a task, which is really frustrating. A lot of my symptoms are wildly life debilitating where I'll just pace around the house or I physically cannot get my brain to do what I want it to do. It's like having someone at the kitchen table screaming at my brain to do something. And my brain's like, nah, I'm not doing that. Huh. And, and, and it gets to the point where I, I also get really avoidant where I'll miss a deadline and I, I get anxiety about reaching back out or explaining myself, or I feel guilty where I just avoid it. To the point where I had a credit card that I defaulted on, and eventually, like two years later, paid off the entire balance, where I was just like, I'd, out of sight, out of mind, my brain didn't want to, it was too stressful, it was massively avoidant. But I, yeah, I, like the gym, I do medication, I do stimulants, I don't like them a lot, because I kind of like my emotional dysregulation, I like showing emotions, I like making it clear. Sometimes they're overblown or not appropriate for the situation. But I I really am someone who's like, I need to show my emotions. Even if sometimes they aren't rational, I think it's important to show them just so someone can understand where you're coming from or what's wrong, even if they wouldn't react in the same way. And I try to eat a healthy diet. I've done therapy. Therapy is like dating, which is really frustrating. And so since I, since, since I've, as I had a, I had a long time, I think three or four years therapist in Indiana that really helped me through a lot of my childhood and the toxic masculinity of my dad not understanding HD and being like, try harder, just figure it out. Why can't you do this? And then the therapy really helped me understand like, oh, like I just have this issue. I need medication. I need coping mechanisms. I understand. And so that was really helpful. And then I had therapy at the school for probably about six months and it helped quite a bit just to, uh, become part of the community moving there i mean, just want to talk to you about like making friends like as an adult making friends i think is significantly harder it's hard, it so hard everyone's got their own lives and you're you're pretty young wait till you get to my age and it's like holy fuck man like, even my age at 26 most of the people from indiana have kids and lives and jobs right. and they don't have time to make friends they don't their plates right. full and then moving up to petaluma i'm still in search of a therapist and like i kind of look at therapy as like I have this problem. I would like help to solve this problem. And then I'm like, it's like I finished my treatment plan, like chemotherapy. I got my therapy. They solved my problem. I can move on. 
And so, yeah, like that's really how I kind of cope with ADHD. I've also done psychedelics have really helped me understand myself. I think psychedelics in my early 20s was really eye-opening to how I can look at myself in a better way. Like, oh, I have positives. I'm super um, extroverted. I love talking to people. I love meeting new people. I love hearing stories. Like a desire, I was all over the place. I met so many people. <laughs> you so were. Many numbers. I mean, so was I. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, exactly. Like, that's like fun. And so accepting that you have these flaws, but they're okay. That's who you are. And acceptance was really huge for me through uh, psychedelics was a really big part. That's become an interesting topic of conversation that I've been hearing about recently where people are advocating for psychedelics as a therapeutic product. And I have only done psychedelics once in my life, had for the most part a really good experience and am considering going that route again. What psychedelic did you take? I did LSD. I dropped acid. Oh, nice. I would highly recommend shrooms. Shrooms is the one that felt the most connective internally. It felt more emotional and looking inward on myself. And it was very helpful. It's obviously not a cure-all. I would I don't advocate it as a cure-all. I just think it's something sure. that people should try in a controlled environment, whether it's with a therapist, because now you can go find therapists who do psychedelic therapy. Or you can sit around with your best friends and you you tell your best friend who's a tripster, like, these are my goals for this trip. This is what I want to talk about. This is what I want to analyze. Can you make sure I don't jump out a window or go crazy right. or do anything erratic? That's, and most of the time, no one ever does anything erratic, but it's you need to have a safety net. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So jumping to sort of the music festival part of it was... I mean, there are not any music festivals in Indiana, I'm assuming. You can maybe count one, but it's not a music festival. Okay. It's not something... I, I've gone to a few... It's called Snake Pit. It's at the Indy 500. And so it's, oh, a, wow. it's a very frat, white boy kind of festival. And it's only one day. And it's not the environment I would ever seek out again, now that I'm out of Indiana. It was something that I'm like, oh, sweet, something to do in May. My festivals are more in the lines of, I want to be in the woods with my friends around awesome, cool people like desire. I think I told a few people this were like, wow, these are the people I would meet at a music festival. Insanely open-minded from all walks of life, all colors of skin, all mental health issues, all coming together and loving each other and being understanding. And so like, that was really what drew me away. And that's why I kind of left Purdue where I was like, wow, I'm not happy around these people. These aren't the people I want to be around. And then I spent a year, it would have been 2016. I went to 15 music festivals across the country. Holy shit, dude. Yeah. From Florida all the way up to New York City, I went to Electric Zoo. You probably heard Electric Zoo. Uh-huh. Yep. And so, yeah, I, I, I just kind of took a year off and I was like, I want to go kind of find myself. And music is something that's always helped me focus with ADHD. I guess that'd be another treatment I would call as music is something that really like kind of quiets my brain to focus on one thing at a yeah, time man. and so music festivals was like my massive escape i actually worked at a vendor called hippie dips and i made sandwiches so i could go for free i couldn't afford this and so i was i was i, I, I was gonna ask I was like, on how the, the circuit. hell do you afford I was, 15 festivals in a year <laughs> no I, that's thousands of dollars yes yeah i was on the circuit and i was just making sandwiches and being around really awesome people and I have made some amazing friends through that that was really like the thing where i'm like okay this is the people i want to be around and like that do you was... not get, do you not get crowd anxiety? I mean, Desire was two hundred and twenty people, not including the staff. The average festival, you multiply that by ten. Like, yeah, hundredfold almost. Yes, I get crowd anxiety early on. I might have been a little bit too over eager and just was like, I want to ride the rail. I want the bass to rumble my body. But now I'm more of someone who wants to chill, medium to back, and really get to know people. And so, like, the first music festivals I went to, I didn't really get to meet a lot of people because you can't talk. You can't hear anything. You're, like, right. screaming. You're doing sign language. You had to learn sign language on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm the person who's in the back just chilling, vibing, enjoying my time, loving the music. But, yeah, I, crowd anxiety I definitely get, especially around people I don't know. And so I always show up with, like, a group of 10 to 20 people, and I don't know them really well. I trust them. And it, it feels like a very safe space within the music festival environment. 
Wow. I, I'm trying to picture myself in that similar sort of space. And I just feel like it would be, I would be super overstimulated. That's yeah, that's uh, the one thing is I think I got overstimulated a lot at Desire more than I did at music music festivals. It's all shiny and bright and cool, fun stimulus. But at Desire, it was a lot of workshops and learning new things. Hmm. You weren't comfortable just observing. It was it was a weird thing. Is like I call myself like an energy feeder. Where like I bounce back off of people, and so like that energy in the room made my brain think I wanted to do that but I just enjoyed their happiness in it. It was almost like where I was defaulting to the point where I felt like I had to act in a way that I wouldn't normally act just because I had to like almost, it was almost like the fitting in and my, like my mm. brain was like, Hey, you need to fit in. I couldn't sit on the sidelines. I had to join because everyone else was joining in. And so like, that's one of the things where like I get overstimulated. My brain either I need to leave, but I can't leave an all inclusive. I can't go anywhere. You feel that, Often, like the need to fit in to, to situations. Oh, 100%. Still I still do that. that. Trauma follows me forever. Where, like, I, I have a real problem almost, not like being myself, but I will kind of, like, crank up who I already am to fit in or be like, oh, sweet, you're totally down to, like, make out with someone you just met in this pool. No, I'm not. I would never, ever freaking do that in normal life. Ever. I would never see someone at a party and be like, oh, I need to make out with them. And so, like, desire, I think my brain was like, where does sex resort vacation that's poly and kink else like yeah kink lgbtq plus open and so my brain was defaulting to actions or pushing me towards actions that if i would never ever normally take but like i i think i learned a ton from desire and i'm really happy about it but i also know how i act in the scenarios where i'm like okay i'm all right not being in those environments because i don't really like how i act because i feel like an outcast my brain is like don't be the outcast Join in, join in, join right. in, join in. But it's okay to be an outcast. It's okay to sit on the sidelines and enjoy. It totally is. And enjoy and hang out with people and talk to people. And yeah. so like, yeah. I feel like for me, there was just so, there were so many options for things to do. Like that, I didn't feel like I had to be included in everything, but I also overanalyzed to the point where I was like, oh my God, there are so many places I could be right now. Maybe I just don't want to be anywhere yeah that i felt that like the end of the week i got burnout where i'm like trying to go to all the things i wanted to go to and over like overextending myself like i had fomo like how can i get the most enjoyment out of this even though i would have gotten the same enjoyment by just relaxing or enjoying myself or taking time off it was still really frustrating to be burned out when i could have just paced myself or I, I felt guilt about doing things i wouldn't normally do because my brain was pushing myself but i learned a, a an absolute massive amount myself and now I know in those environments, okay, you have to prepare yourself. And I can have a partner or friends around me who'd be like, hey, you don't need to go do this. Don't go do this. You don't need to. And that's the whole thing. I feel like this experience for me as well was a learning experience that prepared me for the next time I do something like this. So I sort of know what to do versus what not to do or what I want to try versus what I don't want to try, where I need to be versus where I don't need to be, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think my brain was overstimulated by the amount of options. And now that I've gone, I'm like, oh, okay, sweet. I know all the options because I forced myself through all of the options. Yeah. And so now I can pick and choose or focus on one or change the kind of prioritization I go about things versus like prioritizing events or certain things at the resort. I can spend an afternoon meeting people or socializing or on the beach relaxing. I think yeah. I spent so little amount of time relaxing at desire like actually just laying down with a book i spent too little amount of time doing that and knowing that i'm like okay next time i'm gonna sit my ass down and just read and enjoy the afternoon also i am from the midwest so i do not have any experience with kink or any of this kind of thing and so i was really adamant about learning as much as i could and seeing as much as i could just so i could know okay this this is what i like this is what I desire. This is what I don't like. This is not what I want to do kind of thing. And so going back now, I'm like, I've already been in the workshops. I don't, I've already seen it all. I'm good. You don't need to do it again. Exactly. Yeah. But I also feel like that's the type of shit that evolves over time. Like the things that you enjoy, the person you are grows as you grow. Uh, it should change as you get older and, and get more experience in that kind of thing. So I don't necessarily know that there's the need to soak everything in at once. 
or even make like a hard decision on whether this is for me versus this is not for me because what could be for Brandon at 26 might not be for Brandon at 36 or 46. So it's got to kind of take the experience in and not make any like hard line yeah, decisions. Yeah, enjoy it and understand that you grow and change. And now I go to maybe one or two music festivals a year. It's I used to be going to like five or six and the one year I went crazy, but now I know it's something I can go to escape to and have fun with, but it's not something I need once a month or all the time kind of scenario where like sure. you grow to know how much of a good thing you need because you can have too much of a good thing and it becomes destructive. 100%. 100%. So I got to I got to admit we were on the resort and I remember talking to somebody and you were not the only brand in there. So we had to differentiate you from the other brand and I was like, "Oh, the bro dude Oh, man, you called me a bro? Come on, mate. Look, if you've only seen my look, I am very much look like your stereotypical bro. I look like a frat star. If someone, like, oh, he's got the nice beard, the nice hair. And I think that was part of it. Like, you're blonde. You obviously go to the gym. You still kind of have that aesthetic going for you. Now, there was one night we were uh, out at the bar, like, kind of hanging out. and uh, I got to talk to you. And realized that you were definitely a lot more uh, complex and thoughtful than the average bro. Do you feel like, and, and I think broness, quote unquote, is definitely tied into masculinity. Yep. To an extent. Do you feel like you still kind of carry that? You still got some Indiana in you, you know what I'm saying? And I, I, it's not a bad Yeah, I, th- I think I do. I definitely have this thing where, like, I need to go to the gym. I know it's something that can help me with ADHD, but I also go because I want to look good. I want to, and, like, looking good makes me feel good. And having nice hair, having a nice jawline, watching my weight. <laughs> and so, yeah, that kind of stuff, like, follows me. And I guess I don't like to admit it all the time where, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to the gym so I can look good for people around me or I can show off. It's almost like a low-key arrogance where I'm like, oh yeah, I look good. And I think it's something that's from the Midwest where I was around a lot of people who were like that and they got all the girls, they got all the attention. And so it's something I think I was jealous of or seeked out. And I was I was like the 6'2", really, really skinny kid in high school as a freshman and sophomore. And if you see photos, you'd be like, wow, this kid needs to eat food. And so that <laughs> was a big part of it where people used to think I was too skinny and it was like, gross and so then i was like okay i need to bulk up i need to look cut and so i think i do definitely maybe carry that energy from afar but i think a lot of people like you and yourself understand when i start talking I'm like oh wow this is a very like emotional and thoughtful person who is not going to talk about sports is not gonna talk about what a normal bro would talk about <laughs> right which is funny because i love sports and I'm certainly capable of talking about it, but if you put us in a room together and are like, who's going to have the, who's going to talk your ear off about basketball for 30 minutes? <laughs> right, right. It's it's funny. I, I it's, And I feel like you and I probably, although we have very different upbringings, both grew up with very strict ideas of what a man was versus what a man is not. And I always credit my queerness with keeping me kind of on the right side of that because I feel like if I was straight, I would have had so much more toxic masculinity to unlearn, like sort of struggling with my sexuality through my teens and my twenties gave me a little bit of an insight into what it was like to not be traditionally masculine in that sense. Where, like, how did the, the rules or the, the idea of masculinity that you grew up with, like, how have you handled challenging? I challenged it because of my father and how much I wanted to not be like him. Growing up, I was very emotional, very open-minded, very understanding, and he was very, like, quick to anger, all about being tough, always saying, just figure it out, try harder, work harder, oh, this is your fault. And, like, that was, like, my really big pushing was... I don't want to be like that. This is not cool. This is not fun. Embarrassingly enough, I was in uh, ROTC at Purdue. I was going to go in the military because I was brainwashed. Yeah. The magic. Yeah. Like, talk- knowing me now, you'd be like, no way, dude. Yeah. Like, I was that ingrained where I was like, oh, to be a man and support my family, I got to fight for my country. 
and I was just doing everything that toxic masculinity was telling me to do through my father and my grandparents like even like the toxic masculinity of my grandmother it was like very weird how they would just be like very much pushing that agenda and that was okay and the funny thing the funny thing two things and not to cut you off but two things i can gather from that that make a lot of sense one is that conditioning will completely mess your head up and it's real the thing you need to sort of unlearn a lot of the stuff that you've been taught and develop your own mind your own thought process but the other thing, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up your grandmother, is that women can practice toxic masculinity too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Once I learned about toxic masculinity, I'm like, wait, like my mother and even grandmother have participated in that and joined in or have been silent, the silent voice in the room when they could have stood up for me or said something. And I grew up with a father who I've never seen him cry to this day. He told me to leave the room when his father died. Our dog got killed and f- I was on the bus when my dog got ran over by the bus driver. And I came home to my dad who was no no emotion at all. And Jeez. so growing up, I was like, no, I, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to uh, shun emotions. I don't need to be violent. I remember my coaches in football be like, why don't you be more aggressive? And I'm like, I don't like hitting people. So I was a wide receiver and I'd run fast. I didn't. I did not like being hit. You make it work for you. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I ran track. I love track. I was really good. I went to nationals in the 400 meter dash, and I did not like violence. I quit wrestling early on. I didn't seem the need for it. Like, why am I bashing my whole body against someone else? Like, it just and my dad be like, "Oh, you should like, hit harder, weight lift harder." And I'm like, "I don't. Why? Like, why do we have to be aggressive or angry to get what we want? It's a lot easier to have an open conversation with understanding." and empathy than to have this dominance or aggression be your power. That's amazing. An amazing conclusion to come to. And I think that ultimately that's what a lot of this podcast is about. And a lot of what we need to realize in order to just be healthy fucking people. Like I, I I think that people who don't show whether, no matter what their gender is, you hold emotion in, you keep up the stoicism. You don't allow yourself to feel feelings. Like that stuff is going to eat you up inside. Yeah, exactly. And I think people also look at power represents the ability to, like, man. It's like a. It's mostly like a physical thing. Like I can manhandle you. Like I can threaten you with a weapon or something. Or it's like that kind of power. When I think there's a lot more power and empathy and understanding, and communication. I think a lot of toxic or people who practice toxic masculinity misunderstand. Like you don't have to be this way. This might work in Indiana, but I don't think it's the healthiest or right way or good for anyone. You're just scaring people. You're manipulating people because, oh, this is a strong man versus a small girl, even though I think the small girl has more power in her way of communicating versus the strong buff guy who just thinks he needs to dominate people. Right. You're manipulating people who don't know better. And I think once you get out of those environments into places where people have a little bit more experience dealing with different kinds of folks, then that whole act falls apart and people can see through see through the bullshit, essentially. Yeah, that's kind of what happened with me and my dad. I just saw through the bullshit. I was like, this is bullshit. Like, he just has control over me financially and just through I need a home. And high school was where I kind of, or like early in college is where I learned family isn't blood. It's the people who are there for you and understand you. Family's not blood. And that was really important for me to learn because uh, my friend Bobby's parents have been amazing family to me. My friends have been amazing family to me. My partner's family has been a better family to me than my own. And so learning that and telling people that you have the power to find the family you deserve or the people you deserve. You don't have to be stuck with what you're born with because that's how society has always been. Amen to that. Amen to that. I want to talk a little bit about how polyamory came into your life. Like, where did you even get wind of of that being a thing? Through my partner at Purdue. I met her when she had a boyfriend. She gave me her number in front of her boyfriend. And being a naive conservative white boy i was like that's your boyfriend right and she's like yeah so and just slid me her number (laughs) and i was like wow this is this is crazy like the confidence she showed in what she was practicing i was like oh that's interesting and so that was my first foray into it and 
over the years, I've read books about it, and Polysecure was a really good book to read. I also believe that no amount of books you could read could teach you what you need to know about Poly. It's how it's going out and doing it. You have to do it. You have to learn. You have to fail. And Poly is a really long learning process because of how society is monogamous heavy and probably will be for a long time, which monogamy has no place in the world because we don't need to reproduce anymore. We're over. Yeah, we already have the population we need. And so monogamy has kind of, in my mind, lost its value. And I also like learned early on that people have infinite love to give, not infinite time. And so I think you do have the capacity to love other people and have meaningful connections outside of just one person. I, I am so close with some friends, I would almost call them a partner. It's not romantic. It's like, it's intimate in our conversations. It's probably not romantic or sexual, but like, where do you draw the line? Like, I've also learned about the tears of, oh, wow, the no homo thing growing up was really toxic. <laughs> Because you have to bring it up. You can just be really close with your friends and really have those level of intimacy. And so she really opened my eyes to it. And Desire was probably the first time where I really got to see it up close and personal in such intimate way and see it normalized. And that was my really big thing. A light switch went off. Because a lot of times I'd be like, I'm not having any luck with this. Because I would like start talking to a girl on a date nap. And the second I brought it up, she'd be like, oh, I'm out. That's weird. Sure. Or I'm too insecure. Sure. Or I'm too jealous. And I'm like, I could say that, but like, I've, I've also learned through Polly that um, envy is much different than jealousy. That was really massive. Knowing that envy was, oh, I love that my partner's doing that. I really wish I could find that. Versus, oh, my partner's doing that. I can't let her do that because I don't get that. And so, rather than setting like walls up or putting your partner in a box or limiting them. You're like, oh, that's awesome. I'm happy for them. Like, that's something I want to go find and do. You bring up an interesting point because I've had the same thought process before where I was like, man, this ain't working out for me. Maybe I'm not poly. But it's like me thinking, oh, dudes don't want to go out with me. Maybe I'm not queer anymore, which is silly because <laughs> I am what I am, right? Whether you're being successful at navigating multiple relationships or you're batting zero, like you are what you are. Yeah. And I've, I've made like a ton of mistakes this year in Polly where like, I'm just learning and I've had a partner who's been gracious enough to be understanding of that and being like, Oh, like, cause she's, she, uh, she prescribes the idea that some people are born poly like as an identity almost like being queer or bi where like that's just their mo that's their mode of operation from the get-go it's not like they decide to change their diet to veganism and like just enjoy that like, so i was like oh that's really interesting and she's thrived in it and i also think that women really do have an advantage because she's probably turned down like 50 or 60 guys which also has really helped me notice that like oh i'm important i'm special enough to be in the top three or whatever i don't even right. look at it like that i'm special right. enough to make the cut and so even like with not a lot of success on my end, knowing that she still thinks I'm worth dating or being with and choosing to come home to me is like massively reassuring. Even as I make mistakes and jealousy or being crazy or even a desire where I just like, it was like stimulus overload and I was going bananas and like, yeah. And I did things that I, like I regret and understand now that like, oh, I have to think about my actions before I do them and not let ADHD just be like stimulus, stimulus, stimulus and be all over the place and just bounce around whatever is going to give me that dopamine rush that my brain is craving at the moment. It's all part of being human, man. Yeah. We all make mistakes. We all do, do stupid shit. And the power comes from being able to own up to it and having people in your life that will call you out when you do stupid shit and not being defensive about it. But saying, okay, I see where you're coming from. I made a mistake. I apologize. Yeah, like, I understand. And I'll do, yeah. and I'll do better. I'll do better. I know now. I've, I've learned. And, like, I, I got two partners from Desire. And she's really happy and supportive of me, like, finally finding, like, partners and, like, really pursuing it. And it's been absolutely wonderful where there's a lot of times where I'm like, dang, maybe I have nothing to offer because I can't find another partner. But most of the people were just monogamous. My pot of people is very very tiny and the things have to click they have to have the time 
because as you know, Polly is a logistical nightmare. Yes. Making it all work. There's a lot of yeah. a lot of calendar stuff. Yeah, so yeah, calendars and stay on top of it. And I'm horrible with calendars, which you might be also with ADHD. I am horrible. Forget about things. I forget about homework assignments. Like, how can I remember, like, to keep all this in track and on, like, and like oh, remember yeah, to respond man. to people. And like, I've I've been a lot better being upfront about my not failures, but who I am, and being like, hey, I might not respond for a week. I legitimately just forgot. I don't know why, because I do care about you. It it, it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got to ask, you were almost certainly the youngest person there. <laughs> did, did did that register with you at all or um, did it did it bother you? Did it make you feel away? That's actually really interesting because someone in Discord, oh, oh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but I talked to her before and messaged her because I'm demisexual and I was super worried about being young and demisexual. And it now explain demisexual for the folks that are not um, for uh, the listeners. Demisexual is where it's on the ace spectrum, and so it's kind of like sapiosexual, where you only want to have sex with people who give you intellectual enjoyment or knowledge. Mine is yes. more the emotional side, and so I have to have an emotional connection to look at you as a sexual being. So a lot of times I can look at someone objectively, being like, "Oh, that's a objectively beautiful person in our culture," because I know our culture. I grew up in it but I'm not getting turned on or I'm not interested. And it's not until I can start to talk to them and start to get to know them and trust them and feel comfortable where I can have a sexual relationship with someone. And so growing up, I didn't know what I thought something was wrong with me. I was like, why do I have to wait like two or three months before it gets to that point? So I was like, is this normal? And all my friends were like, Oh, my friend Bobby, he's going to hate me because I for sure lied to him. We had a list of people (laughs) we had sex with. And he had a good list. And my list was a legitimate list. My list was just me performing acts on a woman, not actually. So, like, I would get drunk and she'd be like, oh, would you like to have penetrative sex? And I'm like, no, I'm not comfortable doing that. How can I help you? And so that's kind of what it was a lot of the college time where I was just doing that because I didn't have the level of comfort. And I also got a lot of women angry at me who are like oh am i not hot enough do you not like me enough why won't you do this and i'm like i'm just not comfortable enough and it's kind of nice to have that boundary something you already do just because of who you are and so it's helped me set up boundaries going forward being like i know when not to get in a situation like that like oh no she asked me to go home with her i'm gonna say no now before it gets into that situation where I'm uncomfortable or anxious or not feeling like I have that connection with that person yet to go through with what they may want to go through with. That's super respectful. And believe me, you know this, you are not the first college student to lie. Oh, I know. I know. About, about their conquests. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, I, it would be weirder if I had somebody on there like, oh, yeah, it was 100% truthful. <laughs> yeah, true. That would be, like, be like, all right, come on now. Right, uh, like somebody's bullshitting somebody in that in that uh, situation. But yeah, uh, back to the age thing at Desire. It was very clear. It was nice having my partner's sister and a fiance there. They were a year or two years older than me. They didn't participate as much as I was. It was definitely clear, but almost reassuring because i have people be like wait you're here at 26 like i wish i could have been doing this at 26 like i didn't have that confidence or the balls and i don't think i did have the balls as my partner dragged me to it but i ended up loving it there and so i would talk to people at the bar in the night and they're like oh wow you're a really genuine awesome person a lot of people are like oh he's just the hot guy like the bro of the sex for game like let's like let's <laughs> like let's see what i can get my count to by the end of the week kind of person yeah. like oh no this guy isn't out here to do that it's not my goal yeah, uh, yeah. I was looked yeah. at you. Yeah, you looked at me like a bro. I can't, oh, Mike. <laughs> I, I definitely give up that look. Even though I, that's why. That's also another reason why I wear colorful, flamboyant colors because I want to kind of bring down that look on me where I'm like, oh, he has kind of feminine style. Like sure. I wore, like I have multicolored jeans where like I have a pair of teal jeans that are really bright blue. That's another reason I really love color is because it can kind of show a more feminine open loving happy side versus oh he's just the bro trying to get laid like he's wearing a suit and tie and so i really stray away from the male normative colors and style as a way to be like i know how i look i can't change how i look i do love the gym but it's not who i am i don't ever talk about the gym i'm not like how much do you bench press it's never a competition to me (laughs) i'm never talking to girls i'm never talking to a girl being like i could bench press your body i just want to look good and feel confident in my skin and that's also why sure. I can wear colorful clothing because I feel confident in my skin. 
and I can appreciate that confidence. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that like that conversation yeah, with course. you the third or second night was actually unbelievably awesome with you, and it you were just... wonderful. Thank you. I, I it's really interesting to have preconceived notions and then have a conversation with somebody and have them even somebody like me who considers themselves to be open-minded and accepting and all that stuff you see people and you kind of get an idea in your head of what this person is probably like and i'm a very big believer in i think i would almost consider myself demisexual in a way because i I mean, both sapiosexual and demisexual because emotional attachment is key and intellectual attachment is key. And those things make me want to bring somebody. It's not necessarily a sexual thing, but those things make me want to sort of wrap my proverbial arms around somebody and bring them into the fold. So it sort of went from I'm talking to this bro dude to like, oh, Brandon is cool. I really like this guy. I want to talk to him more. And I was I, I sought you out to have more conversations with you and get to know you better. Yeah, that um, like, that's just funny because now when you say bro, I think of like how uh, the one playmate looked. Like being a bro. Like, I was yeah. like... Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate you even giving me that opportunity to talk to you and show yeah. you who I am because from a distance, anyone can look like anything and everyone as a human has preconceived notions of who they are or what they might act like. And so it does take a certain kind of person to be like, oh, I'm willing to talk to them and hear their story or like what they got to say. Is it worth me hearing kind of thing? And so I think that's important for humans to have, even if we have these internal biases that we may not have control over. They just come up in our head. I was like, oh, I'm going to adopt this dude. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I got to ask. So this is the last question. If you were to put a fine point on what the next step in your your personal evolution is. Like, what do you think that is? Oh, the next step? Ooh, I think I have a good one. I've learned that I really struggle with certain types of communication. So arguments, I can't get my thoughts straight. And so sometimes I have to walk away to process and think about it, then come back with a clear defined idea. And that's also why sometimes I'll leave arguments and then text the person later. With my response, there's too much going on in my head with ADHD. I just I can't get it out correctly. I don't want to say something that I don't mean or comes off wrong. And so I think my next step in growth is really working on communicating with people like, hey, I need a moment to step back, cool off, get my thoughts straight, then re-engage. And so I think that's the next growth I'm really looking towards is really figuring out how to communicate to someone that I need time to figure out how to communicate back. <laughs> it's- I was going to say... I do you when you find yourself getting angrier do you lose your filter do you just sort of say yes everything everything just just comes out the floodgates open and it's chaos and then I feel insane guilt and shame thinking about it later being like why did I say that it's not who I am it's almost like you're looking at a different person and I think it's just emotional dysregulation where once that emotion starts to build up it is like throwing nitrous into a race car and it's just through the roof and you need time to like stop the ball from rolling, step back, reset the ball and re-engage because I just don't, yeah, the filter drops. It just gets overstimulated. Everything's out of control. And that's like a lot where a lot of my mistakes even come in in relationships with people where like confrontation, I don't stray from, but I do struggle with knowing when to disengage and recollect myself so that I don't hurt someone or misrepresent mm. myself or say something that isn't what I actually believe or think or how I even feel. Cause I may feel it in that moment, but it's not how I feel all the time or what I think all the time. It's just in the moment. And that really comes back to bite you in the ass and can really hurt relationships and really mess with how your life is going. You are speaking my language. <laughs> I think it's, a, I think it might be an ADHD thing. Also with my dad, my dad and brother are quick to anger. It's like a trigger and it goes off. There's zero to a hundred. Mine is more, uh, zero to hundred and sadness and crying. So when I get frustrated or upset, I go to sadness and just like grief and like I like really upset because I wouldn't allow myself to get angry like my father did. And so now I revert to not ever. I don't allow myself to feel angry. So even if I get an argument, 
I will cry first or walk away because I either one of them wants to get angry, so I walk away, or I cry and then I can't get my thoughts up because I'm crying. And so both are counterproductive to communicating. And so understanding how to balance that or communicate what you're feeling or what's going on, like, hey, I need to step away or let me go scream at the clouds real quick, then I'll come back, clear my head. I've done that before, like, um, with one of Max's where, like, we were in an argument, and I was like, I need a moment. I went out and just screamed. And it, it calmed me down, because I needed to let something out. I had something in me. I didn't know what it was, but it released a ton of energy that was disrupting my way of communicating. And it was really helpful. And so I think, like, my next big step in growth would be that. Awesome. I loved hearing Brandon's story. And one thing that actually does resonate with me that might surprise you is needing to leave your surroundings in order to grow as a person. Um, I think that is something that you could certainly say about a lot of people that have small and rural upbringings where everyone is kind of monochromatic. And in order to understand people who are different from you, you have to experience people who are different from you. And that necessitates you getting out of the space that you spend most of your time in, whether that is to go to college or to work or to pursue a creative pursuit or something like that, just getting out of your standard, your comfort zone. Uh, I can relate that back to when I was growing up. Even though I grew up in New York City, I grew up in a very specific part of Brooklyn, which was not especially diverse and um, didn't offer a lot in terms of progressive thinking. So in order for me to change my life, I had to get out of that environment. And I felt that same pull that Brandon felt uh, to get out of his environment in Indiana. And I was like, I got to do something for myself. And once I did get out of there, it was liberating because all of these things that I had thought about people who were different than me, I mean, some were confirmed. And in some cases, in most cases, just my appreciation and respect and empathy grew by hundreds and thousands of of of, uh, of points. Um, so I, I don't know. What am I trying to say? Just get out of your comfort zone. I think it's really important to do that and surround yourself with people who maybe have different ways of thinking than you do, particularly if you've grown up in an environment where everybody thinks the same. You'll be surprised at what you learn and what you begin to appreciate and what you end up finding out about yourself. Thank you, Brandon, for doing the show. I really appreciate it. It was great to meet you in Mexico. I'm looking forward to our friendship. You can find Brandon on Instagram if you would like at Brandon underscore the underscore ginger underscore. Once again, that is Brandon underscore the underscore ginger underscore. Thanks for listening to the Detoxicity Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph. Once again, if you want to find me online, hit me up on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy. I'm on Twitter intermittently at TizMikeJoseph. You can go to Facebook.com slash Detoxicity. You can email me DetoxPod at gmail.com. Love to hear constructive criticism. Love to hear feedback. Would love if you are a potential guest or you know somebody who you think would be a potential guest, please, by all means, reach out to me. And remember, if you enjoy this podcast, subscribe, rate, comment, do all of the things necessary to push this podcast up in the podcast rankings and get this into as many ears as possible. Tell a friend, do whatever it is you need to do. And uh, thank you once again for listening. I personally want to thank the following people for their support. Uh, Calvin Williams and Jacob Block, Jeff Giles, and Andrew Grossman. Thank you very much. I hope all of you stay well, stay safe, and healthy. Until next time.